Luther says in the small catechism, in the same way the Holy Spirit calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth. This is most certainly true. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. As we wrap up our working today through the Apostles' Creed, there is a term I, I really think you all need to know, a term that is truly at the heart of everything of which colors Lutheranism. And that is the term extra nos. Now I know, here I am giving you another Latin term, even though I don't know Latin myself, to try to remember. But I believe in you. I know you can do it. Extra nos. Extra spelled extra, nos spelled N-O-S. Extra nos. The English translation of this is is outside of me, outside of us. And it's a term that places before us the, the actual and full work of, of everything that we have seen in the creed that our, our triune God is doing amongst us. As we talked about last week, one of the biggest problems, the first problem that most in the church has is that we don't understand the work of the Spirit, especially when it comes to our faith. Too many, we think, our faith is our work. God does most of the work, but at least we got to do at least a little bit, even if it's only 1%. And so we have to let Jesus into our hearts. We have to make Jesus our Lord and Savior. And that's false, as we know. We are dead in our sins and our trespasses. That's what Paul said. And so the Holy Spirit calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies, Luther says. And this continues also then in the way that many people view the work of the church or of Christianity in general. And I have made, a, I've made this, uh, this point in the past that I don't, I don't think we should call Christianity a religion. Because religions, whatever they are, wherever they are, always demand the saying that you have to do something for and to the deity if you want their pleasure. And that is whether it's sacrifices of goods, lives who are devoted, or, or even your prayers that are offered up. Now, I'm not saying any of those things are not wrong in and of themselves, and certainly Christianity encourages such among its adherents. But the difference lies in the rationale. And this is why I advance that Christianity isn't a religion. It, as Luke tells us, it was first called the way. And the, for the reason, you see, the church would offer up our sacrifice, our prayers, or even give and devote our lives to God, isn't from this idea that from such things will we get something from him. But the reason we do this is because we know and understand that we've already been given everything from our God. And such is simply a response to God's first actions towards us. This is what mercy is all about. This is why we talk about grace so much. That everything we receive from God is not a reward for our efforts but is a total and complete gift from him. This is what the phrase extra nos is talking about. This is why it's essential. We, we should memorize this. 
Because it defines that everything of, of what the Bible speaks of being the work and the will of God for us and to us. It's the way that God works to save and redeem us. This is the means by which he assures that the redemption that Christ wrought on Calvary is administered to us. It's imputed. It's put into us. Extra nasa. It comes from the outside in. Christianity is not from the inside out. It comes into the ears and then goes in. It's holy and completely a grace that flows from God's first steadfast love and mercy towards us. And so as we end here our work of the Apostles' Creed and especially the Holy Spirit today, this is how we see his work, extra nos, towards us. And when, when Luther simply took and looked at how does, what, does the whole, what does the Apostles' Creed as well as the Nicene Creed say, we notice that he doesn't do what lots of world tries to do. He didn't try to speak of God in an in existential way. He didn't try to peer into his divine majesty. No, the Luther simply went to where the creed says, that if you want to know the Holy Spirit, this is how you know him. And where is that? The church, Luther says. That the in the church is where the Holy Spirit is at work, giving her the work of Christ. This is precisely what we heard Jesus say would be the Spirit's work last week in John 15. And we need to know that where we can truthfully and, 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 and firmly find the Holy Spirit is because, as, as Luther points out in the large catechism, as Scripture speaks of, there's lots of spirits in this world. There's the human spirit. There are evil spirits. And unless we know that what is being said from, by God is from God, we can't place our hopes in it. And so the Holy Spirit has promised to be found in one and one place only. And that's the church, through the word and the sacraments. And so the work of the Spirit, because the work of the Spirit is to do, as Luther says, what his name is, making us holy. And it's thus it's only in the church where such holiness is given, because in the church, everything relates and revolves around the work of the Son. That's what we learn in the second article. As Luther points out, we outside of our, our, in ourselves, we are lost and condemned creatures. We are held in bondage to sin, death, and the power of the devil. We are dead, both physically, or both spiritually, and we're catching up to that physically. And so if we want to have life, if we want to have forgiveness, there is nothing that we can do. It must come from outside of us, extra nos. It must be bestowed and, and given to us purely according to grace, the free bestowal of mercy. Because if we have what we offer up to God, it's nothing but sin. And so Luther asked in the large catechism, how does then the Holy Spirit accomplish his work, his answer is by the Christian church. In the forgiveness of sins found in the resurrection of the body and the promise of life everlasting. You notice what he does there. 
We are saved, we are forgiven, we are redeemed, we are made holy, saints, according simply to the work of God, doing it according to his will. And such will be only found done where he has promised to be found. And that is his church. Those two who have been called to this faith in Jesus Christ. Those who have been given everything necessary now that will bring you to your heavenly Father. And so Luther preaches this. The confessions teach this. It is as Stephen Paulson describes it, that the Holy Spirit does not moonlight in any other job than the witness show and drive everything in the universe to Christ. In your bulletin, I gave you a quote from a, 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 a professor at Fort Wayne that says the exact same thing. He's like a stagehand, he says. The Holy Spirit doesn't want you to look at him because the Holy Spirit is pointing you to the Son. And so the first thing, how this is accomplished, is by you being gathered into the communion of saints, the, the creed says. This is shorthand for what we said in the Nicene Creed. You are the one holy Christian and apostolic church. For a communion is simply a gathering. It's a fellowship of like-minded individuals. And saints, well, saints aren't the people who do extra special things. Saints are simply those who have been forgiven by Christ in the death and resurrection of the Savior. You are a saint, you see. I know you don't look like it. You don't sound like it half the time, but you are. In your ears, in your faith, you now are completely holy to God. I had a thought, of, I brought this up in Bible study this last week, and it just popped in my head. Jesus is seated where? At the right hand of the Father. And so Jesus says in the end, right, God's going to separate the sheep and the goats, right? And the goats go to which side? Left. Sheep to the right side. Well, the reason you are a sheep on the right side is because when, Je- when the Father turns to look at you, who does he see? The Son who is sitting right there. And he sees you, he views you through the Son's nailed, scarred hands. And says, hey, you are forgiven. These are the saints. This is why when he looks at the left, they're goats, because he looks at them only in his wrath. That's the work of the Spirit. And we see this immediately in Acts chapter 2, that this takes place right after Pentecost Day. And so Luke lays out what happens when the Holy Spirit is given, the church is gathered. As I said in confirmation last week, boy, what a sermon. 3,000 people are converted in one day. And I say, well, I do a sermon. 3,000 people leave, I think, half the time. There was one confirmation kid that said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not here today. He's not here today. And so what is that one thing Luke says they all held in common? It wasn't their possessions as though this was some sort of early form of communism. That's hogwash. What they held in common was their faith. It was their believing unto Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's what had united them. And so verse 42 then shows us what did this communion of new saints do? Well, it was the church. This is the divine service. Preaching, gathering, the Lord's Supper, 
and prayers. It's what we do on a Sunday morning. A little bit expanded by tooth after 2,000 years, but the essence is there. That's what makes you into the bride of Christ, you see. And so you are a saint, you see, because you here in this church you are receiving the work of Christ in this communion. And what is this work? Well, part two is the second thing of the Apostles' Creed. You receive now the forgiveness of your sins in this church. In the book of Hebrews, we believe this is actually an old sermon, probably written before 70 A.D., uh, but it's a preacher preaching to a congregation of people like you. And what he does to show is, in a very you know, kind of a difficult way, that Jesus is the fulfillment and the fulfiller of the Old Testament sacrificial system. But, and so by chapter 10 here, he is laying out what did Jesus achieve on Calvary? Well, it's the assurance, he says, that all who believe, all who are gathered together by the Holy Spirit can draw now near to the Father and you can do so with confidence because your hearts have been sprinkled clean with pure water. Reference to baptism, obviously. And what does your baptism do? As Paul says in Romans 6, it unites you into Christ's very death and resurrection. And so you now are pure, you are clean, you are holy, extranos, outside of yourselves. All because of baptism, you've been placed into Christ's death. And as Christ did not remain dead in the tomb, so you are already raised up in his resurrection. You don't see that quite yet, but we live believing it. And that, of course, then, the third part. We know that from the forgiveness of our sins, we now have a promise that we will not lie forever smoldering in the wages of our sin. But we too will be raised. Not maybe, not perhaps, not if we're lucky, not if we're good enough. We will be raised in the body on the last day. Why? Because where Christ is, so is his people. And he is the first fruits, Paul says, and so you too will walk out of your own tombs. That's what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians. That our faith does not live on the idea that somehow we're spiritually now raised with Jesus. No. But we will be raised earthly, fleshy. These bodies will walk out of the tomb. Now, while we live under the weight of everything that sin places on us today, our bodies on those days will be physically and wholly raised and walk out of the dust to a new and forever existence. We will be a forever now is restored to that original image that Adam and Eve forfeited when they sought to be a false god at the expense of being the good and loved creation of the true God. And you see, when that finally takes place, you will live now no longer in the ear, but by the eye. Because now you will see the very promise that was given by Jesus to Martha in John 11 today. And so even though you will die if Jesus continues to tarry his return, 
And we die still today because even though we are redeemed, we are still accountable to our sin. Yet we finally also in our faith actually already live and do not die. That's what Easter Sunday is really all about, you see. This is why we sing it. This is why we speak of it each and every year. Not simply to remember a holiday, but to celebrate the fact that the empty grave is our future too. And one day, all of those graves that are parked back there, they will be released of their content. And all now who live in Christ will live to life everlasting. That those who believe and trust in Jesus as their one and true hope, Savior and Lord, will find life abundant and glorious, never more to end. That is what the Holy Spirit does here, you see. To remind you that you are the very people that God created, that he redeemed, and that he is saving forever. No wonder St. Paul, by the time he got to Romans chapter 8, let loose such a triumphant exclaim of what can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? Can death, life, powers, principalities, anything? No, he says. Because those who have been forgiven, saved, and redeemed in the work of the eternally begotten Son of Mary, there is now no place where you will not be Christ's. And until that final day arrives, the Holy Spirit is here at the church to uphold and sustain you in the hope that though you might always not see this, you must and can believe it. That you are forever His. And that is a promise as sure as Christ's tomb is still empty. So what we say in the creeds, people... For through the word and sacrament, as through instruments, the Holy Spirit is given, working faith when and where God pleases, justifying those who believe that they are received into grace for Christ's own sake. That's what you confess every time you take those creeds upon your lips, that we are here, physically, spiritually, eternally, because of the work of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that he's done all such things out of his fatherly divine goodness and mercy, that he has made you his own. And now he will keep you in this one true faith. And all of that, you see, has been given to you extra nos, outside of yourself. Because this God of yours is a God who loves you far too much to leave it to yourself in the futility of your sin. And so the very words that Luther uses to end all three of the articles is a phrase that really should be on our lips. Maybe we should put it above our altar, huh? Because every time our Lord and God gives us himself, we know that we have this promise, that it is most certainly true, because this God is working for you. And thus you can now live and die in that hope. Glory be to this God alone. Amen.